evidence and answers. What does the Bible say about annihilation as opposed to eternal suffering in hell? Many fail to understand that God is a God of life. According to Genesis chapter 1, human beings are made in His image. Therefore, every person is of value. But how can we share with those who believe in annihilation? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today's message was taught by Pat and is the second in his series regarding the afterlife. He will explore several different topics, so you won't want to miss any. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's Pat with part two of Questions on the Afterlife, Annihilation. We're going through our series titled Questions about the Afterlife. Last time we evaluated the doctrine of reincarnation. Today we'll look at another popular teaching called Annihilationism. One of the most difficult teachings in the Bible to comprehend is that people who do not know Christ will spend eternity separated from God quarantined in a place called hell. For many, this is a horrific idea. As a result, some believe that the unsaved are annihilated after death and cease to exist rather than being eternally tormented in hell. Many fine theologians understand the horror of eternally being separated from God and have, instead of believing in eternal punishment in hell, instead have changed their theological position and adopted this position of annihilationism. Well, does the Bible support the teaching of annihilationism? Well, let's take a look. Let me first present a definition of the doctrine of annihilationism. Annihilationism is the doctrine that the souls of the wicked will be snuffed out of existence rather than being sent to a place of everlasting conscious torment in hell. The existence of the unrepentant will be then extinguished, while the righteous will enter into everlasting peace in a conscious state in the presence of God in heaven. That is the doctrine and teaching of annihilationism. Now, can we build a biblical case for this doctrine? Well, proponents of this doctrine believe they can, and there are several scriptures that they point to. One such passage is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7-9. through 9. It states, Those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Now, in this passage, the wicked are being described as destroyed. Therefore, annihilationists insist that the figure of destruction here is incompatible with continued conscious existence. They believe the term destruction here means annihilated, gone from existence. Another passage they point to, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment for destruction of the ungodly. Once again, the word destruction, the Greek word there is apoleia, means to perish, which annihilationists understand as to go out of existence. Another passage that is often quoted is Mark chapter 14, verse 21, where Jesus said of Judas that it would be better if he had never been born. 
before conception, one does not exist. Therefore, some believe that Jesus was teaching annihilationism, that Judas would be annihilated, and therefore the unsaved then would be annihilated or go out of existence after they receive their judgment. And throughout the Old Testament, you often hear this phrase that the wicked will perish. Repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, it speaks of the wicked perishing. For example, the psalmist wrote, But the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish, vanish like smoke. You see phrases like that in Psalm 37, verse 20, Psalm 68, Psalm 112, and others. It states that the wicked will perish. And many annihilationists believe that to perish implies a state of nothingness, that you no longer exist. So those are some biblical passages that are used to show that the unsaved are annihilated and cease to exist after the physical death of the body. Now let's take a look at a few of these Bible passages that I just quoted here and see if they indeed build a case for annihilationism. First, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. First, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 states that the wicked will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. Does that teach annihilationism? Well, the term destruction is the Greek word Olethros. Now, the fundamental thought is not annihilation, not by any means, but unavoidable distress and torment. That's what it means there by destruction. Everlasting destruction would not be annihilation, for annihilation takes but an instance and it is soon over. If someone undergoes everlasting destruction, then they have everlasting existence. So the term destruction here is speaking of everlasting distress and torment. Dr. Norman Geisler uses this illustration. The cars in the junkyard have been destroyed, but they are not annihilated. They're simply beyond repair and unredeemable. That's the same condition we find the people who are in hell. They are in everlasting distress and torment. That's what it means when Paul writes that the unsaved are in a place of everlasting destruction. It does not mean annihilation. It just means unavoidable distress and torment. Now let's look at the second passage that was quoted here, 2 Peter 3, 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, but kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly here. Now, the Greek word for destruction in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 is apoleia. In the New Testament, this word refers to the unsaved who instead of becoming what they could have become, all is lost and ruined. All the joy and meaning and purpose that eternal life was ever meant to be is now lost and ruined. The complete word study dictionary of the New Testament states of the word apoleia, it says this, means to destroy, lose, perish, but must never be construed as meaning extinction. One dies physically when his spirit and his body separate. Neither the body becomes extinct nor the spirit. The body decomposes and ceases to exist in the form it was. The immaterial components, such as the soul, spirit, mind, and emotions, continue to exist. 
So examples of how the words apoleia or destroy here is used is found in several parables. For example, the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. The sheep that wandered away from the shepherd and the rest of the flock is called apoleia, lost, not annihilated or extinct, but lost. In the following parable of the lost coin, it says that the woman had a valuable coin which was lost. Once again, it's that Greek word apoleia. doesn't mean the coin was annihilated, but was lost. And the story of the prodigal son, it says that the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verse 24 and verse 32 says that the son was apoleia. He was lost. But in all of these three parables, none of these objects or persons cease to exist. They simply were lost to the relationship which they had before, in which they were designed to have, and which was desired to be restored again by the owner. Now in Mark chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus stated that it would have been better if Judas had not been born. Well, Jesus is not comparing Judas's punishment to his non-existence before conception, but his existence before birth. This is a hyperbolic statement, a figure of speech which Jesus was expressing the severity of Judas's punishment that was to come, not a statement about the superiority of non-being over being. It's a hyperbolic statement reinforcing the severity of the punishment that awaits Judas on Judgment Day. And finally, let's look at the term used in the Old Testament that often says that the wicked will perish. Now, the word perish that's most commonly used there in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word abad, and it means to be lost, to lose oneself, to wander. It's used especially of a lost and wandering sheep. For example, in Psalm 119, verse 176, it says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The word lost there is that Hebrew word abad. So it means to be lost, to lose oneself. So the term perish there in the Old Testament doesn't mean annihilationism or to cease from existence. Just like the New Testament word perish, apoleia, it implies there is a loss of relationship that was once there and that through that relationship, the joy and everlasting life and all that life was ever meant to be, that relationship is now lost. And that's what it means when the wicked will perish. The wicked will lose that relationship with God and will forever be separated from him. And all the meaning and joy that eternal life was ever meant to be is now lost forever with the wicked who do not know God. So in the proper context, these verses do not teach annihilationism, does not teach that those who do not know Jesus Christ will be annihilated and cease to exist. In fact, the majority of biblical passages, you can build a very strong case that indeed, those who do not know Jesus Christ will be eternally separated from him in a conscious state of torment forever and ever. As difficult and as tough of a teaching as that is, that is indeed what Jesus and the Word of God teaches. Let's take a look at some Bible passages here. In Matthew chapter 25, it's the famous judgment seat of Christ where he separates 
the sheep from the goats. The sheep belong to Christ and are part of Christ's flock, but the goats are those who do not know Jesus Christ. And in the end, Jesus says to the goats, he says, but to the unsaved, they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Annihilation means obliteration out of existence. But to experience eternal punishment or eternal suffering means one is in a state of conscious existence. And here, the righteous receive eternal life in contrast to the unsaved who go to eternal punishment. The contrast is here. Both are existing eternally. One to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It wouldn't make any sense to say that the unsaved will go away to eternal annihilationism, but the righteous to eternal life. No, it makes sense that both are existing in a conscious state for all of eternity. Now, the word for eternal here, eternal punishment and eternal life. The word eternal, the Greek word there is ionon, which literally means everlasting or without end. This same adjective, eternal, ionon, is used of God. In Romans 16, verse 26, it states, But has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. Revelation 4, 9 uses, also uses that word ionon in describing God. It says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. It's that Greek word ionon again which means everlasting and without end. Another biblical passage is Luke chapter 16. That's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man lived in splendid luxury, while just outside his gate was Lazarus, a poor beggar who was begging for food. And and the rich man had the ability to help Lazarus, but he simply ignored him. Well, both died. Lazarus went to paradise there in the presence, and he was with Father Abraham, while the rich man immediately died and immediately experienced the conscious torment of being in hell or Hades. It says in verse 22 of chapter 16, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So immediately after death, One experienced the joy of heaven and the other immediately experienced conscious torment in hell. And here the rich man, it says, was in a state of torment. He was not annihilated. He did not cease to exist. He was in a state of conscious torment there in hell. And in fact, in this parable, there's a dialogue that goes on between the rich man and Father Abraham showing you that after the physical death of the body, the unsaved are in a conscious state, in eternal torment, in a place quarantined from God called hell. In Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 48, Jesus teaches on the severity of sin. So in hyperbolic language, Jesus makes these comments. He says this, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. 
it is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus describes hell as a place of unquenchable fire there. And he says, if you're in sin and you not repent of sin and come to faith in Jesus Christ, you will enter into hell a place of unquenchable fire. In other words, hell is a place uh, that exists eternally and the unrighteous will go there to an eternal existence tormented there in hell. Hell is an eternal place. It's not a place of annihilationism. Jesus is not describing a situation where a person ceases to exist. Hell is a real place and it is an eternal prison for those who have not come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, there in hell, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, stating the eternal state of hell. It does not come to an end. The worm does not die. The fire is not quenched. It's an eternal state of torment. It lasts for all eternity. That's what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 9. In Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 5, Jesus says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. I'll warn you of whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed the body, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, Jesus is making it pretty clear here. Once there is physical death, once the body is dead, that's it. That's over. He says, after that, nothing more that they can do. Nothing more can be done. But the soul goes on to exist in an eternal state separate from the body. That's why in verse 5, he says, but I, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear whom after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus is warning that there's an immaterial part of us, the soul that exists beyond the death of the body in an eternal state, which can be thrown into hell, which is everlasting. The body dies once, and Jesus said there's nothing more that can be done. But the suffering of the soul in hell, that lasts for eternity. That's why Jesus says, in contrast to the body that once it's dead, it's over, fear the one who can bring you to judgment and cast your soul in hell, where that is everlasting torment. That's the contrast that Jesus is making here. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, at the end of the age when the final judgment is given, it states in verse 10 that the devil and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and a false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. So the lake of fire is a place where the unrighteous are thrown and they will be tormented there day and night forever and ever, chapter 20, verse 10 says. So Satan is the third one who enters there after the beast and the false prophet. And in the lake of fire, John writes that that is a place where they are tormented forever and ever. However, following Satan are the unrighteous who receive their eternal resurrected bodies and stand before the great white throne judgment of God, and they are judged. 
And in verse 15 of chapter 20, it states, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was also thrown into the lake of fire, which in verse 10, John said, is a place of torment. Well, they will, like Satan, be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's a place of eternal punishment. The unsaved are not annihilated. They do not cease to exist. They are in a conscious state. You need to be in a conscious state to be tormented forever and ever. So unfortunately, those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have not repented and turned to Him for their salvation will be in a conscious state tormented forever and ever in an eternal place quarantined from God called hell or in the final place of the unsaved called the lake of fire. So the weight of the biblical passages in the Bible from Old to New Testament teach that the unrighteous are in a state of conscious existence, eternally suffering torment in hell. They are not annihilated, nor do they go extinct. Now, there are some philosophical arguments that are used to support annihilationism, and mainly there are three. The first one is that eternal punishment violates God's justice. It is argued that it is unjust to punish someone eternally for temporal sin committed here upon the earth. The second philosophical argument is that eternal punishment violates God's mercy. And the third, eternal punishment violates the universal nature of God's victory. Dr. Norman Geisler gives a great response to these three philosophical arguments. The first one, eternal punishment violates God's justice. It is argued that it is unjust to punish someone eternally for temporal sins on the earth. Dr. Norman Geisler gives four reasons why this argument fails. First, eternal punishment is inflicted on a sinner who does not repent. And since he continues in his sin up to death and on into eternity, he is reasonably punished by God forever. Second, no sin is acceptable as long as God exists. And God is eternal. Hence, punishment for sin must also be eternal. Temporal punishment would diminish God's justice and His holiness. Third, God's justice demands eternal punishment because the heinousness of any crime must be gauged according to the worth or dignity of the person it is committed against. Sin against an infinite God is an infinitely wicked sin worthy of infinite punishment. And fourth, Everlasting punishment is not only just, but is also necessary. Only eternal punishment will suffice for sins against the eternal God. Sins committed in time are sins perpetrated against the timeless one. Allow me to give you an example. A man may take years to plan a bank robbery. And after he commits that crime, after he is caught, he'll be sentenced to some time in jail. And eventually, he'll probably be released. But someone that commits an act of murder, that may occur in just a few seconds in which one man kills another. Well, that is a much more serious crime. But although it occurred in a much shorter length of time, the punishment for murder will be a lifetime sentence in jail. Well, hopefully, it'll be a lifetime sentence in jail. Even though that murder only took a few seconds while that bank robbery actually took several years to plan and eventually commit. So you see, it's not necessarily the time of the crime, but the severity of the crime. 
and sin against an eternal God, therefore, demands eternal separation from God. Now, the second argument is that eternal punishment violates God's mercy. In other words, it's merciless for God to allow people to suffer for all eternity. For example, when animals are suffering, we put them to death instead of letting them suffer more. Therefore, it's concluded a merciful God would do the same for human beings. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, Pat's books, and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.